Revelation. Chapter number three. <clears throat> Revelation chapter number three, and we are at the very last church of our seven churches of Asia Minor this evening. Revelation chapter number three and beginning in not sorry, not verse seven. I didn't change that. <laughs> verse fourteen. <laughs> Did anybody pick up on that on the screen? No, you did. Good. You're awake. That's all that matters. That's why I leave these little things in here, just to see if you're, if you're awake. I, I have said it. At least you know that I'm writing my own material here because I'm making these mistakes. Right. Uh, Revelation chapter number 3 and verse 14. And we'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 22. Revelation 3, verse 14. And the Word of God says this. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's just pray, shall we, this evening. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Lord, and I do pray that you would help me, enable me, equip me, use me this evening, Lord. And as we look at this church at Laodicea, we want to see that it was a church, Lord, that outwardly looked good, but inwardly was rotten to the core. And Lord, I pray you would help us to avoid that as a church, that we wouldn't fall for the the, the traps of the world today to be a seeker-sensitive church. Lord, but we would just fall upon your work and the goodness and greatness of it, knowing that it's your word that is the authoritative word, the all-sufficient word. And Lord, I pray that we would indeed be a church that puts the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of all that we do. Lord, if we've seen nothing else as we look through these churches, we've seen the secret to success in terms of being a pleasing church to you is simply putting you first, above all things, because you are above all things. So Lord, I pray you would help us this evening as we look through this, challenge us, uplift us, whatever it is, Lord Jesus. Would you have your way this evening in your precious name. Amen. Alrighty, so we are on our... Uh 
last church of the seven. We've gone round our ancient postal route, as it were. We've come all the way down there to Laodicea. We've looked at these uh, seven churches and we've said from the very beginning that each one of these churches represented a real church. They were real people. And, you know, you never forget that. They were real people that the Lord was writing to that would have heard this uh, as it was uh, written, uh, read out to them as the scroll was opened and the words of the Lord were, were read to them for the very first time. They were real people that would have heard what the Lord had to say about them and their works and their conduct and their church life. And also then we said that each one of these churches brings forth a spiritual condition. We've seen different spiritual conditions in these churches, even from the very first church at Ephesus, that was a drifting church, if you remember, and the Lord rebuked them because they'd left their first love. And, and on it went through the different, uh, different things that we've seen in those churches. And each one of them pointed to some kind of spiritual aspect of church life. And showed us that there are things that we're to be guarded about. We're to be guarded upon having Christ at the very center of all that we do. We're to be guarded upon having Christ as the one that we love. And that's why we do what we do. And mixing the balance of those two things together, that we have word and we have life. And we, we walk that uh, uh, way in a balanced way. So, you know, we guard against being a church that is just really a, a, a lecture house or a university that just teaches, teaches, teaches. And, and teaching's good. We want churches to teach, absolutely. But we need churches that preach. And part of preaching is doing what you say that your words and actions are matched. You've got to walk the walk if you talk the talk. And as a church that prides yourself on the preaching of God's word, we have to guard ourselves that we're applying that word. Applying that word to ourselves. And we've seen other conditions about how uh, false teachers were allowed into the church and what a damaging thing that was. And we have to be wary of that. We have to guard. And that is the job of the leadership. It's the job of the pastor. Um, you know, he's to be a shepherd. And, and again, it's not a shepherd in relation to any kind of Western idea of what a shepherd is. We have to understand it from a Middle Eastern point of view of a shepherd. And a shepherd was very much a protector. And he had to be to stop the uh, enemies getting in. So... You know, all these different conditions of the churches, they can apply to any church at any age. Some churches are suffering from multiple uh, versions of, of these conditions. And we have to be worried as a church that we don't allow any of these things in. And they can get in very easily. They can creep in to church life because we are human beings with a sin nature. And we will fall on the side of sin more often than not if we do not guard ourselves and keep ourselves in the word of God and our walk with God together. That's just the reality of it. That's why we have to abide in him. And that's the secret to Christian living. And that's the secret to church life. Abiding in him and all that that means. Then I said to you the third aspect, and again, I'll not be dogmatic on it, but I will say that the third aspect shows us that this really is a picture of church history, I believe. I think it fits, and um, you know, it's too coincidental to be ruled out. And again, I'll not 
you know, fall out with you if you don't hold to this. But I do think it paints a picture of the church age. And we've gone through. We started Ephesus. That was the apostolic church. We moved to Smyrna. The early church was was the persecuted church. And and we looked at what Smyrna meant. Uh, Then we moved to Pergamon, which became the indulged church, really. We see this marriage of church and state. Roman Catholicism comes in. Then we moved on to Thyatira, which is really Romanism in full flight. And and Romanism in full flight is where um, the majority of the pagan uh, teachings come in. You know, I said this last week and I'll say it again. If you look at the history of Romanism, you'll find that it's an ever-increasing, ever-changing, I guess, uh, doctrinal stance and things. And on and on it goes. And and the things that were being brought in were were just to appease and and marry together different things and different religions and certainly the religions of the pagan Romans with this this body of of people that believed in in Christianity and Christ. And and Constantine came along and he said, how did I, you know, kind of mess these together politically? And, And Roman Catholic was born. You can go and look at the saints, all the different saints in, in Catholicism, and you will see that you will find a counterpart of that saint a lot of the times uh, within a paganism. And it's like they go in one door as, as, a, as a pagan idol, and they come out the other door, and they've been uh, nonified or whatever it may be, and presented. What's going on there? They had their peace. That's what, what Roman, Roman Catholicism is. It's a marriage of church and state. It's a political thing as much as it was ever a spiritual thing. And then we moved on to Sardis. And I said that Sardis represented the dead church. It represented these great bodies that came out of the Reformation. And they came out. Remember, Sardis means escaping ones. They came out and they, they did that. They fought the battle of justification by faith alone. And they came out. But what happened for a lot of those is they came, didn't quite far enough and went back in to becoming state churches, which is what they were meant to come out from. Then we moved last week to uh, the church at Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. And I think that points us to what really is, is, is the golden age of the church age in our um, distant lifetimes, if you like. We can look back and I know that we weren't around in the 17th and 18th century. Well, there maybe a few of you might have been around there. But that was a golden age. It was a golden age. Golden age for missions. Golden age for um, you know great doctrinal truths that were spurred on by an understanding that the return of the Lord was imminent. You'll you'll see this, um, and they got about God's business. Now we come to Laodicea, and this is the last church. And if this is the last church, then I want to say that this represents really the church of the last days. It's often said that. That's what it's often said, the church of the last days. So let's have a look at Laodicea this evening and see what the Lord has to say about them. Now, first of all, the name Laodicea, um, a form of that name means people ruling, and that's a very good indication of the spirit and heart of this church and, of course, this period in church history The period we know now is the period of the last days of the church. And Laodicea itself is a place because, again, the the geography is very helpful and useful. And the Lord uses these things when he's dealing with these churches. But originally, Laodicea wasn't of too much importance. It wasn't really, um, like, it's down there. It's kind of in the middle uh, somewhere. It's not a coastal city. 
And of course, you know, going back in time, coastal cities had great advantages because uh, they were on the coast and they had a lot of trade. But of course, the Roman Empire comes in and these trade routes are, are established and secured. You know, you have the Pax Romana, the, the Peace of Rome across. So, and again, we looked at how this was a kind of trade route. And what happened was that um, under Roman control, this church really, or this uh, area, Laodicea, really started to thrive. It became uh, a very uh, uh, prosperous city. And actually, the location that wasn't uh, that much use before, particularly, became very advantageous because of the, where they were in the line. And they almost became a kind of gateway into the east for um, their trade and, and things like that. So it benefited from its position. Something that originally wasn't of anything to shout about became, when the Romans came in, a very useful place. And it became a great commercial city. And actually it became the kind of central commercial city for those other areas of Asia Minor. It had an extensive trade in black wool that was carried through Laodicea. So it was a financially prosperous city. It was a city of wealth. It was a banking and finance hub at the time. And what, what happened at Laodicea was it, it suffered greatly from earthquakes. I don't know where it was in kind of a tremor line or whatever it was, but generally it suffered greatly. And around AD 60, around in the, during the rule of Nero, it was recorded that there was a great earthquake that, that really leveled Laodicea, brought it to its knees. And... Um, being part of the Roman Empire and being a very uh, useful tool within the Roman Empire, they were offered assistance to rebuild the city, given uh, the, the funds of the empire to do it. And they refused. And they said, no, we don't need your money. We, we've got our own money. And they rebuilt the city themselves. Um, so they refused the assistance. They built the city for themselves uh, because the people were proud people. They were proud of their self-sufficiency. They were proud of their uh, riches. And they were proud of their abilities. So Laodicea was a proud city and it was a wealthy city. But one thing they didn't have, they had wealth, but they didn't have water. They didn't have a, a natural source of water coming into the city. Um, so what, what happened was that water was supplied to the city by man-made means. This is an important illustration wasn't natural. They had to bring water in by man-made means. So their supply was supplied from about six, six miles or so away. Again, you know, how accurate can we be in these figures? Give or take six, seven miles, whatever. Um, and it was, it was pumped in by these man-made aqueducts from the Heropolis. And because the, the water originally sourced from a hot spring... By the time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, just the natural course of thing. You know, water that's hot, that travels six miles, by the time it gets to you, it's not as hot as what it was when it started. The water was uh, lukewarm. And that's important because then straight away we can see that these people, when the Lord spoke to them and he started to talk about them being lukewarm, they would have been very familiar with that concept. And we're going to see that as we go. So that's a little bit of background about Laodicea. What then does the Lord introduce himself? Or how does the Lord introduce himself? Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. 
Remember the Lord introduces himself to each church and the things that he has to say uh, about himself are pertinent and important to those people. Verse 14, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So we want to just even have a little think about that this evening in the introduction that Christ says. He says, these things saith the Amen. Not Amen to these things, but the Amen, the truly. Amen is, you know, it's, it's an affirmation of truth, isn't it? Amen? Amen. <laughs> these things saith the Amen. This is a, a, a title of Jesus, the Amen. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's also the Amen. And that's a title of ultimate authority, isn't it? It's a title of ultimate affirmation. And, and Christ is indeed the full and final truth. He absolutely is. He says, these things saith the Amen. Then the Lord goes on to say, the faithful and True witness. You want to know about God? Study Christ. Study Christ. Merrill Tenney said this, Christ is the seal of God's revealed truth, the finality of all that the Father has spoken. Beyond him, God has nothing more to say to man. The believer should be, sir, we would see Jesus. The express image. Of the Father. Then the Lord says he's the beginning of the creation of God. Now if there's any Jehovah's Witnesses in here tonight. You're going to go see. See. Jesus was created. He was created. But again we don't have to do too much uh, study into this. To find out that that's not what this is saying. The beginning of God, we get that from the, the Greek archive where we get architect. It hasn't to do with the order of created things, but the office of creator, creation, or creator. He is the architect of creation. You want to blow a Jehovah's Witnesses' mind? Take them to 1 John 3. I think I've done this before. Because they want to take you to 1 John 1. And the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And they want to say, a God. And they want to get into the debate about the Greek. Taking the 1 John 3, you're in the same context where it says, All things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made. It says, Is Jesus created or is he creator? He's creator. He's the beginning of creation. He's the architect of creation. And that's what's said here in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse 14. So when we think about this, the Lord introduces himself to the last church. And I want you to see what he's doing here. That he is really summarizing himself as the preeminent one. As the all-powerful one. As God. And he says to the church, I am the Amen. I'm the faithful and true. I'm the architect of creation. You want a verse that summarizes that for us? Romans 11 verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And that's what Christ 
has to say about himself as he introduces himself to the church of the last days. Why does he have to stamp that authority once again? Why does he have to position himself once again as the preeminent one? Christ should never have to position himself as the preeminent one in your life. That's who he is. You cannot move him. You can pretend like he's not. But once again, Christ has to come down to the level of man and show us who he is. So here we have this church at Laodicea and the Lord has introduced himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's what he has to say about himself. What's he going to say about the church? Well, let's have a look, shall we? The commendation. Nothing. 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 This church, as they gathered, had heard all these other churches. And even the churches that had uh, terrible uh, condemnation had at least some form of commendation from the Lord. At least something. The dead church at Sardis, they have a name. There was something. And as these people gathered and they huddled around to hear what the Lord had for them, silence. Not one word of commendation for this church. Not one. How hard would have that been to hear for them? How hard would that be for us to hear if we just listened to all the other churches? We just heard the report about Blurton, the church of brotherly love, that the Lord had nothing bad to say about, that he he just commended them for their faithfulness and their stand upon God's word. And then we hear that the letter from the Lord is coming to Milton. Let us gather round as we hear what the Lord has to say about us. Not one word. Not one word of commendation for the one, from the one. He's the faithful and true witness. He's not a liar. He speaks truth. And the truth for the church at Laodicea was simply this. The Lord had nothing good to say. Nothing at all. What about the condemnation? Well, the Lord has plenty to say. Look at verse 15. I know thy works. And again, the Lord has reminded us time and time again. He knows. God is watching. I know thy works, that they are neither cold nor hot. He says, I, I, wish, I wish that you were cold or hot. But you're neither. And because you're lukewarm, because you're neither cold nor hot, verse 16, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So here's the first thing the Lord has to say about this church. Here's his first word to the church. Now every other church, the commendation came first. He gave them the good before he gave them the bad. The first thing that the Lord has to say about this church is 
You're disgusting. You're disgusting to me. I vomit you up. That's literally what it means. The Greek word means to spew. It's where we get the word um, emetic in the English. You know that medicinal agent that, that makes people throw up if they took a drug overdose or whatever that may be. That's what the Lord's saying. That's literally how literal he is in saying that this church makes him sick. Makes him sick. They're disgusting. Some things are nice hot, some things are nice cold as well. But, you know, milk particularly, I can't stand lukewarm milk. It makes me gag. It's horrible. Cold milk? Yes. Warm milk? Yes. In the middle? No. Tea. Some people are like that with their cups of tea. I don't mind. I like hot tea. I don't mind cold tea. Lukewarm tea? Not so much. And the Lord's simply saying, you know... It's like, be one or the other. But what you're being is making me sick. Making me sick. And, and, you know, I don't do this for effect. That's what the wording means. That's what the Lord has to say about uh, this church at Laodicea. You're neither cold, cold nor hot. The word for hot there is zestos, where we get the word zeal. They weren't in fire for the things of God. They weren't completely cold to the things of God. They were in the middle thereof. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And, and there are many churches like this in this day and age. And I do believe this is the last days for the church. And there are many churches like this. That have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That are more interested in reformation than transformation. That are more interested in their social programs than they are praying. That are more interested in getting people in than telling people the truth. Because when you tell people the truth from the word of God, it should sting. Because it's the word of God. You ever turn on those channels, those religious channels, and, and you, you look and you see these people and they have, you know, basically stadiums full of, of people there. Let's pick on Joel Austin tonight. We're picking Joel Austin. He's an easy target. But, you know, you wonder why, why all these people, why? How, how come there's so many people in, in that church? I'll tell you why. Because the word of God is not in that church. It may be brought in to make it look like it is. Have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And, and, and then we get, as the Bible tells, people with itching ears that, that they're happy to hear, that live your best life now. It's all about you. God wants to bless you with riches. He wants to make you financially prosperous. He wants you to have the best life now that you can have. Riches and wealth. Sound a little like the church of Laodicea? Absolutely. It has to be the gospel first and foremost. I'm not against programs. But they have to be gospel programs. I'm not against social action. But it has to be the gospel in there. 
that's the, what we're here for. That's our mission. The Lord gave his command to the church. And his command was simply go and take the gospel to all nations. In that process. Be a good neighbor. Absolutely. But it has to be the gospel. It has to be the gospel. And the Lord says to this church, you know, you're doing this, but you're not doing this. You're, you're neither in nor out. You're doing the spiritual hokey-cokey. I said, that makes me sick. You're disgusting. So the first words the Lord says to this church is, you're disgusting. The second uh, kind of thought that the Lord has to the church is, you're deceived. Look at verse 17. The Lord says you're disgusting and you're deceived because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Laodicea was rich. And the lukewarm church of today, you'll find, has big pockets. Private planes, jacuzzis for the past. I think, honestly, if the church are leaning that way, a little jacuzzi and upstairs and we could turn that into the pastor's office. I don't need a plane just yet. A new cot, no. But the church, the lukewarm church, money's not an issue. And because of the money, people think that they're self-sufficient. And because they're big uh, uh, organizations, as you, uh, if you were, and because they're big animals, and they grow and they grow and the finances come in, they, they think they're self-sufficient. And that was Laodicea. Remember, they were leveled by an earthquake. They were offered aid and they said, no, we'll do it ourselves. We'll do it ourselves. But the Lord looks on to this church and its heart condition and rather than seeing uh, somebody that was clothed and somebody that was rich and somebody that was in good standing, what does the Lord say? He says, you are wretched. Strong language. Strong language. Remember, they haven't had one word, one good word. The Lord has gone straight at them. He said, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're pitiful. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You know, all deception is evil. But the most evil deception of all is self-deception. When you convince yourself that you don't need God, when you convince yourself that you are all authoritative and all sufficient and you don't need him in your life, you have enough money in the bank, your job's good enough, your house is good enough, it's deceit. We sing the hymn, I need him every hour. We should really change that to we need him every nanosecond. We need him. We need him. Because without him, and without his righteousness, and without his strength, we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked spiritually. We need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And the Lord, writing to the church at Laodicea, lays it out clearly. So it's strong condemnation. What then about the correction? Well, the Lord gives correction. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. 
and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the Lord speaks here. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. So again, he's using their, their thoughts around monetary things and things of monetary value. And he really brings in the language of salvation in terms of what the Lord offers. So I want to take you back to Isaiah chapter 55 quickly. Isaiah 55 verse 1. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Ye come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is great. This is grace. Come and drink. Come and buy without money. Come and buy without money. It's a language of grace. It's a language of grace. And if you remember, I said to you that their water supply was man-made. But the Lord offers, in terms of spiritual water, it's supernatural. It's not natural. It's God's supply. And we can't buy it, we can't uh, uh, do anything for it, but yet God commands us and calls us to come and buy without price. It's grace, it's grace. Back in Revelation chapter number 3. Back in Revelation 3 and verse 18. It says, They must be rich and white raiment, that they must be clothed. This is the language of Righteousness instead of self-righteousness, which is what they were living in, which actually left them naked. The Lord counsels them to put on white raiment. And white is that picture of righteousness within Scripture. Um, Another cross-reference. We don't have time to look at it this evening, but Isaiah 61 verse 10. I'll read it for you. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. You see, they thought they were clothed in their self-righteousness. And the Lord says you're naked. You know, it's the emperor's new clothes. And the Lord says, you come to me, I'll clothe you with my righteousness. And then the Lord goes on, Revelation 3, verse 18. He said, And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Laodicea was a center of eye medicine. And they had developed these, these salves and balms that were known throughout the region to be able to cure some eyesight ailments. So this language was very familiar to them. And the Lord has called them blind. He says you're blind. And they maybe would have thought, you know, well, where's usually the place where people can come and they get to see? And the Lord says you're blind. And he says, I counsel you to anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He's speaking directly into their life context. And he says, repent. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and 
repent. The call of correction is always the same. Repent. Repent. How many churches? Lukewarm churches. Laodicean churches today have tried to remove repentance from the vocabulary of the people of God. It's in the Lord's vocabulary. He says it to each one of the churches that needs correction. Repent, repent. It's important. What then about the challenge? So the Lord does challenge as he does with the other churches. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, we often roll out that verse when we're, when we're um, you know, maybe witnessing or we're using it in a, an evangelistic thing. But really and truly, it's really about a church context. And the church context here is that Christ is in the outside of the church. And what he's saying to these churches of Laodicea, these lukewarm churches, they're under judgment, I have no doubt about it. But what he's saying to them, I believe, is he's standing on the outside of these great bodies of churches. And what he's saying is if there is anybody that is still willing to come to me, I'll fellowship with them individually. Individually. But for the church as a whole, the Laodicean church as a whole, Christ is on the outside, not on the inside. And he's calling those. If any man hear my voice, open the door, I will come in to him. Singular. His individual level. And the Lord will do that. And is willing to do that. But the lukewarm church of Laodicea is a church where Christ is firmly on the outside and man is firmly in the driving seat. So there's a challenge from the Lord then. There's finally, there is a comfort. Verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. And what a promise this is to the overcomer. And we've looked at what the overcomer is. It's the believer. It's the born again one. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Lord here has a wonderful word of comfort to close off. To those that will believe in him and trust in him. The born again He says, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Now, honestly, of all the promises we have, of all the decrees of God, we looked at this a little bit this morning, and as marvelously simple yet marvelously complex that they are, that that God would save wretched creatures like us, that he would make a way where there was no way, it amazes me. But what amazes me even more, if if it's even possible, is this thought that the Lord comforts those that believe in him in his last word to the church in the book of Revelation. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Would you turn to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. You know, I've... (laughs) 
I've read this so many times. And we're going to get, get to this when we go through Romans, you know, on a Wednesday night. We're, we're way off that yet, but when we get there, I just can't, I can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend it. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of of God, overcomers. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. That we may, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might be also glorified together. Joint heirs with Christ. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Not only would God save us, which is more than we deserve, that's grace. But he lifts us out of the marry clay, cleans us up to the point where we are glorified to be with him and to be joint heirs with the beginning, the architect of creation, the faithful and true witness, will gracefully give us that position with him. That is mind-blowing privilege. God didn't need to do that. But he delights in that. And what a word of comfort that is. And, and, and what, a, what an exhortation to be better for him. He's given us everything and more. Joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. The church at Laodicea, unfortunately, the church that marks the church of the last days, is a disgusting church. It's a lukewarm church. And we can look at large uh, masses of Christendom today and we can see where the church is going, that they're neither in nor out. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Whenever a church stands up and says that same-sex marriage is, is, is God's progressive thought for today, It's a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Because if God is God, his word is it. His decrees are it. He says it, that settles it. The church of Laodicea is truly truly the church of today, where it's man-centered, where it's self-sufficient in its own eyes. But when the Lord looks upon it, he says, you're wretched, you're blind, you're miserable, you're naked, you're pitiful, you make me sick. You make me sick. Churches where anything goes. Churches where the word of God is a tack-on or an add-on, where there's formalism but there's no life. These lukewarm churches are the churches that makes the Lord sick. He said, I'd rather you just went the other direction. Stop pretending. Stop being in and out. 
because it makes me sick. Now, we're done and we'll finish and we think about the church and we can rejoice and, and hopefully uh, in the Lord's eyes that we're not a church that makes him sick. But I do want to say that we may not be a church that makes the Lord sick, but I know there's times in our lives where we are Laodicea in human form. When we are doing the in and the out, when we're on one side and we're on the other side, and the Lord says, just pick a side. Pick a side. Halt not between two opinions. We can be as guilty as this, as those in Laodicea, and we want to guard against it. If we can guard against it in our own lives, as a church, we'll be unified against this type of mentality where we start to rely on human methods to grow the church of God. And that's the trap. And they never work. They may grow numbers, but they never grow the church of God. Ever. Let's not be a church like Laodicea. So, we're going to leave it there this evening. That's your 45 minutes up. We, what I will say is we are finished with the church and, and from this point it's, it's uh, onwards and upwards. <laughs> we'll deal with that when we get there uh, next week. But again, let's, let's, be, let's be wise. Let's not fall and, and, and you know, get ahead of ourselves. Let's be focused on the Lord and trust him in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you've revealed to us clearly through your word that we cannot do anything in and of ourselves you said very clearly without you we can do nothing so Lord I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we get ahead of you and think that we can do all things but Lord in and of ourselves we are just wretched and blind, we're naked we're self-righteous and Lord that's no form of righteousness at all But Lord, you've given us so much more. You've clothed us with your righteousness. You've opened our eyes that we might see, not through any natural remedy, but for a supernatural work of the Spirit. Lord, you've given us the wellspring of eternal life, the waters of eternal life through your Holy Spirit. Nothing man-made about it. God supplied. We have all we need in you. We are rich beyond measure. Lord, there's not enough money in this world that would buy the position we have in you. All the riches of this world are nothing in comparison to the promise and truth that we have in you. That we are to be joint heirs with you. Lord, will you help us to remember that? Will you help us to live like that? Will you keep our eyes firmly upon you that we don't fall for the traps that some of these churches did? That we would continue to keep you at the very centre of all that we do and who we are. In Jesus' name.